God, anybody here that needs a reminder of that faithfulness, God, I pray that you remind us here now through your word. In the name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Welcome again. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is our privilege to have you with us. If you're a guest, thank you for taking time out of your life and out of your day to be here with us today as we've gathered to worship the Lord. A couple of reminders that I would share with you. First of all, we have Next Steps class next Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. If you have visited with us once or a hundred times and you say, you know what, I'd, I'd like to know what it looks like to become a member at Malvern Hill. Maybe you're not 100% sure, but you would just like to inquire. Uh, I would invite you to come. I'll be leading that class. We'll meet right out here in the conference room at 4 o'clock next Sunday. Uh, if you'd like, you can. Uh, it would help us if you would sign up online so that we'll know you're planning to come. Uh, but uh, even if not, if you just show up, we'll be happy to have you. Also want to remind everyone that equipping studies start tonight. We have had a wonderful response for our equipping studies um, this, uh, uh, this quarter, semester, period, this term. We'll call it that. There's a whole lot of y'all signed up and uh, a lot of neat opportunities. Uh, video study, just walking through the steps of Jesus. Uh, a song on uh, sort of the theology of music. Uh, there's a, 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 a hermeneutics. Uh, study. You don't know what that, well, it's actually not. It's a study about, about, of God's Word, doctrine of the Bible. There's a, a youth study and a women's study, all sorts of things. So uh, if you haven't signed up, please do that. Even if you don't sign up, show up tonight and we'll, we'll find a place for you. But I hope that you'll be a part of those things as we have opportunities together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Mark. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 7. And, and it... it, it in this passage of Scripture and throughout the course of this sermon, we're going to buck against some prevailing trends that we see in our culture today. I want to argue that you absolutely should not follow your heart. Instead, you should follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hearts are desperately wicked. We have to be careful because they will lead us astray. I like uh, Mike Rowe, the guy who does dirty jobs. Some of you have probably watched that at some point in your past. Several years ago, he made news. He gave a, a graduation speech, and he said, Students, do not follow your passions. He must have been the only person in America that gave that graduation speech. He said, Because your passions may lead you into a dead-end road. He said, Your passions are no guarantee of your success. He said, we watch American Idol together every year. And we watch people who are passionate about music that have absolutely no musical ability. He said, don't follow your passions. Don't listen to the world. A celebrity stands up and tells you, chase your dreams. That celebrity doesn't know you or what your dreams are, whether you're even capable of accomplishing them. He said, instead, let's be realistic. Follow the opportunities. Well, we're not going to be realistic and follow opportunities today, but we are going to be realistic enough to pursue God's Word and God's direction, even when that Word and that direction conflicts with our deepest and most sacredly held personal beliefs. Folks, just because you believe something passionately and strongly doesn't mean it's right. There are lots of people in the world that have passionate beliefs that are passionately wrong. And those passionately wrong beliefs can even invade God's church. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to read to you from Mark chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to Him, that's to Jesus right there, 
with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not, do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the, doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would show us the power of your word. Lord, this morning reveal to us even the hypocrisy within our own hearts. Show us, Lord God, where we have become like the Pharisees. Convict us. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2015, researchers in the UK released the results from a study they named LEAP. It's a good study. It's not about frogs. LEAP stands for Learning Early About Peanuts, in which they studied the rise in peanut allergies and the effectiveness of treatment options. The LEAP study was based on the hypothesis that the recommendation to avoid all peanut consumption until the age of five for children at high risk of developing a peanut allergy was wrong. Researchers determined that those who avoided peanuts, you ready for this? Those who avoided peanuts in up to age five, so from age uh, zero to five, those who avoided peanuts were more than five times as likely to develop a peanut allergy as those who didn't avoid peanuts. Now, these were children who were predisposed to allergies. For decades, allergists have been recommending that young infants avoid consuming allergenic foods such as peanuts to prevent food allergies. The findings of the study suggest that this advice was incorrect and may have contributed to the rise in peanut and other food allergies. This is not medical advice. Speak to your doctor. Let me just say that. Allergists were not and are not evil people, okay? They are not. As a matter of fact, they're good people who long to see children and others thrive. But they saw a risk. And as our hearts normally do, once they identified a risk, they ran from the risk and they urged parents to run from that risk and protect their children. They trusted their hearts, but their hearts led them astray. It turns out that the rise in food allergies is probably not related to vaccines or antibiotics or genetically modified foods. The rise in food allergies seems to be related to the overcoddling of our children. Now, this seems counterintuitive, but it's right. We have a tendency, and again, this isn't Craig Thompson. This is now a widely respected and held study. 
We've overprotected our kids, and in so doing, we've actually made them worse because we followed our own hearts. Our hearts lead us to do that, and I am as guilty as anybody in this room. I was reminded of that just this week, or last week, some week. One of my kids had to have some dental work done, had to have some teeth pulled. That happens with kids. But I remember I had to have some teeth pulled as as a child. I was probably fifth or sixth grade. Um, But uh, in the fifth or sixth grade, I didn't look like my sixth grader. I looked like about his height and literally twice his weight. So if that gives you an idea of where I was. Um, Wyatt's about 100 pounds. I was a buck 85 in the sixth grade. So that gives you an idea. I was a big youngin'. And I had to have some teeth pulled. I was terrified. I remember, I found out later, my mom called my dad at work. This is before cell phones. On his work phone and said, listen, I don't know if I'll be able to hold him in the chair at the dentist office. If he doesn't want to sit there, I don't know what we'll do. I need you to be prepared. I may have to call you to come to the dentist office and hold him down. Now, if my dad had to come there and hold me down, he'd probably beat me. I'm just going to tell you. But do you know that my dad didn't worry another thing about that at all? Because he didn't have access. He didn't hear another thing until he got home from work. My kid had to have some dental work done. Angela, Texas, said they're going to have to pull some teeth. Y'all, because I was privileged to so much information... I was, oh, do do I need to come up there? What? Why would you ask that, Craig? Right? My heart goes out. and Oh, I know that's not. I remember as a child how afraid I was, and my child is now afraid. Really? Is my child in any danger because they're getting some teeth pulled? No, absolutely not. A lot of people get teeth knocked out. They don't die from it. They just get tougher. What Hush, choir, I don't need this. I tell you all that to say that I am as tempted as anybody in this room to chase after my own heart instead of after the truth. You know, we have a tendency to look at the Pharisees and label them as evil. Certainly they perpetuated or perpetrated acts of evil. But what got them there? Do you know that the Pharisees didn't sit around one day and devise a plan to kill the Messiah? The Pharisees didn't sit around one day and go, as soon as the Messiah shows up, we're going to take him out. Instead, they were blinded by their own presuppositions, by their own traditions, by their own ideas of exactly how it is that religion was supposed to happen. They followed their hearts to the comfortable places their hearts led them. Did you hear that? They followed their hearts to the comfortable places their hearts led them. And as a result, they came to oppose the plans of God rather than to participate in the plan of God. Your heart will drive you towards comfort. Always. Folks, we must Resist that temptation to chase after our heart and instead chase after Christ. What do we do with all these things? Three things that I want us to see this morning. 
The first thing, don't follow your heart to hypocrisy. Don't follow your heart to hypocrisy. Now, in, in, in chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, so the Pharisees gathered to him. Now, this is really important here. The Pharisees gathered to him. They came to him looking for a fight. Don't miss that. This isn't like they just happened. No, no, they came looking for one. Okay? All right. They came from Jerusalem. They, they saw that his disciples ate with hands that were defiled. They came looking for what in the world they could pin him with. And once they got there, they noticed that the disciples weren't washing their hands in the way that these Pharisees had deemed was the appropriate way to wash one's hands before one ate a meal. Now, what's crazy right here is at this point in time, there was not even a unified, understood set practice of how it was that somebody was to wash their hands in a ceremoniously appropriate way. As a matter of fact, most Jews probably didn't do this. This is probably something that was practiced most strictly by the Pharisees and other religious leaders. But because we know how, how divided they were, we also recognize that even the way that this went about was not always exactly the same. I'm doing this because they might have done different things with their hands. Perhaps some of them felt that it was important that they close this hand and pour water over this one, and then they pour water over this one, and they do it just so. But regardless of how it was going on, what the Bible teaches us is they show up and they say, Jesus, you claim to be a religious leader. Don't you know religious leaders act a certain way? And your people aren't acting the way that religious leaders act. And Jesus lowers the boom. This morning in Life Group, those of you that are working on our sermon-based stuff, uh, sermon-based curriculum, we're wrestled with the question of what, what does a Christian look like? And if we're not careful, we get this idea that Christianity is always sweet and nice and, and sort of filled with fluff and feathers. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and listen to me. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? And they go, yes, Isaiah did. Isaiah was one of our great prophets. He spoke of us as the leaders. And then Jesus says, you hypocrite. I don't know if you've ever been called a hypocrite. It doesn't feel nice. No one calls you a hypocrite as a love language. When Gary Chapman wrote the five love languages, one of them was not hypocrisy. Nobody says this to you unless they are trying to insult you. Jesus cut straight to the chase. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrine, the commandments of men. Jesus warned the Pharisees that they honored God with their lips, but their heart and their lives were far from him. In other words... They were following their heart rather than the teachings of Scripture. Their mouths said God is in control. Their mouths said lots of right things. But their heart said, what can I do to hold on to power for myself? The Pharisees weren't just innocent bystanders. They went there to pick a fight, as I just said. They went there to tell him he wasn't a religious leader because of the way his followers expected them to act but folks the pharisees aren't the only people that have ever done this are they i can't tell you as a pastor how many times in my life i've been told well you don't look like a preacher now i usually take that as a compliment all right and and and, and whether it is or not i really have no idea 
If y'all have ever said that to me, I just received it as a compliment. I assumed you meant that I looked happy. I don't know. Okay? But we've seen this, haven't we? We've seen, well, this, a Christian is supposed to look exactly like this or live exactly like that. But of course, we've also seen Christians, or at least those who claim to be followers of Christ, who didn't look much like Jesus. They were the hypocrites that the Pharisees were. Some of you may very well be the hypocrite that Jesus warned us about. Do you claim to love the Lord and yet not care for your neighbor? Do you claim to love the Lord and not live for the Lord? I came across this quote from Abraham Lincoln. He once said, I care not for a man's religion whose dog and cat are not better for it. How dare we claim to be followers of Christ and not be the kind of people that make the world a better place on a regular basis? We all have blind spots. Certainly. How does your relationship with Christ make the world better, though? Did you impact the world positively this week, or did you work to make the world more comfortable for you? A religion that keeps you comfortable is idolatry. It is not Christianity. A religion that keeps you comfortable is idolatry. It is not Christianity. Why? Because a religion that keeps me comfortable is a religion that I've crafted after my own desires and passions. A religion that keeps me comfortable makes me healthy, wealthy, and wise. A religion that keeps me comfortable makes me the role model of all the world. A religion that keeps me comfortable sure does make me feel good, but it doesn't bring me to Ezekiel where I was this morning in my daily Bible reading and consider what it might look like for the glory of the Lord to depart the temple. That didn't make me feel real good. To consider what it might look like for God's people to live in such a state of rebellion that literally the glory, the spirit, the love of the Lord would leave them to their own devices. It doesn't cause me to run to Romans 1 and compare what it looks like for God to give us what we want. Even when what we want is ultimately our own destruction. Don't follow your heart to hypocrisy. It can lead you there. Instead, follow God's Word. Follow this Word. Live this Word. Don't just say this Word. Don't just show up at church on Sunday mornings. And though I need to go for some specific examples, because I know some of you have a hard time, as I do, for what it would look like to follow your heart to hypocrisy. If you showed up this morning sleeping off your hangover from last night, you might be a hypocrite. If you leave from here today and cuss out your employer on the way home, you might be a hypocrite. If you made $150,000 last year and gave $25 to the church, you might be a hypocrite. If you criticize everyone else, but you never look in the mirror and say, Lord God, show me my sin, you are a hypocrite. See, we all have this temptation, this tendency to slip into hypocrisy because it feels good. It feels a whole lot better to hold you accountable than it does to hold me accountable. 
And my heart, my flesh will drive me to hypocrisy. Number two, don't follow your heart to deception. You know, the church has been filled with all sorts of little odd traditions that became ingrained to a point of contention. Sometimes to a place where they even caused arguments and fights within the church. You see, we, we like to look at, I shouldn't say like, that might be wrong. Some people in the church, and you might be one of them, like to look at people outside of the church and to say, well, it's their fault that they don't show up to worship the Lord Jesus. So, some of us within the church like to downplay the, the legitimate harm that has been caused by churches acting more like the world and less like Jesus. The church has been filled with all sorts of odd little traditions that became, became ingrained to a point of contention. Playing cards. I can remember, I knew people that wouldn't touch a deck of playing cards if their life depended on it because that wasn't godly. didn't matter if you gambled a cent on it. If you had them in your house, that wasn't right. What about this one? A dancing toe and a praying knee don't belong on the same leg. Did y'all hear that one? I have known churches. I hope ours isn't one. It's not. I've read them. Where the bylaws, the bylaws of the church dictated there would be absolutely no dancing within the church building. I don't know what they would do if they came across that passage of Scripture where David danced before the ark of the Lord. Cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. We all heard that one before, didn't we? Your mom, I'm sorry, parents. I'm sorry. I want to say it to my own children, but it's just not in God's Word, okay? It's just not. John the Baptist was probably nasty. Y'all just think about it. He ate grasshoppers and honey. It was all in that shaggy beard. He was a nasty-looking man. Okay? He was pretty godly, though. Imagine how he smelled. Oh, what about these other things, like the style of dress for worship? What about that? You know, I, I, I talked with a, invited a guy to church this week. hope he's not here. Well, I mean, I hope he is, but since I'm talking about it, I hope he's not. Um, I can't help but stick my foot in my mouth, can I? Um, but <sighs> I invited a guy to church this week and he said, what, what do I need to wear? Like that was his number one question. That was his number one question. Right? What, what have we done to say that you've got to dress a certain way? Now, I mean, look, I'll be honest. I, I have a suit this morning. I kind of feel nice about it. I like it. I'd be okay wearing a suit and tie every single week, but none of y'all do. So I don't put mine on either. I'm just trying to fit in, be cool like the rest of y'all. But do you know that those, even those things have waxed and waned through the years? There was a church in Virginia in the 1700s, I believe, that had a pastor come in and preach in view of a call. He met with the church, he met with the people, the leadership in the church, and they refused to call him as their pastor because he wore a, a coat with brass buttons. He was too fancy. Everyone else wore wooden buttons, and brass buttons were not befitting a man of God. And yet, in some circles, if a pastor doesn't have on cufflinks, he's not appropriate. You understand, these things have, have waxed and waned with culture, and yet none of those things really have anything to do with the Word of God. Do you, do you see that? It doesn't. 
Jesus is clear the Pharisees, though, weren't just doing some annoying little things. They were literally trading the truth for a lie. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. See, there have been some things in the church that were kind of funny when we look back at them, but there are other things, heartfelt convictions of man, that, were, that are downright evil and deceptive. Once you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of man, it's a short step to all-out deceptive evil. You say, surely not. Folks, once I decide that my tradition and my rules matter more than this word, what stops me from saying which one of my rules and tradition trumps this word? Look at some of these. There's been like pro prosperity preaching. Prosperity preaching would be, would be one of those. Where the tradition of man, especially of American Western mankind, trumps the truths of God's Word. That somehow we, we begin to develop this idea that God wants us to be wealthy and happy. And yet when I come to God's Word, I read that following Jesus is a call to take up my cross and die. Stay-at-home moms. It's like, whoa, Craig, what are you about to do? Take a deep breath. We're okay. I like stay-at-home moms. But we can't go to God's Word and say it is required that women stay at home. If a woman feels that conviction, then praise the Lord. But I can't go to God's Word and say it's required. The Proverbs 31 woman worked outside the home, and she's supposedly the role model for all of us. For goodness sakes. Racism. We can't pretend like it's never happened and doesn't continue to happen today. We can't pretend like the church didn't perpetuate it. It happened. The Southern Baptist Convention exists because of slavery. And for us to believe otherwise is just a lie. Does that mean we continue to hold to those things? Absolutely not. There's been a time of repentance, of recognition that we had elevated the traditions of man and devalued the commandments of God and in so doing had devalued human beings. But it can actually happen. Nationalism. We see this. We see this in our own country where the traditions of the United States get trumped above the commandments of God's Word. We have to be careful we have to be careful because things like patriotic worship services can become worship of America to the, to the, to the um, devaluing of the worship of God. We have to be very, very careful. We don't worship a flag or a country. We worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank Him for this country, but for goodness sakes, we are not the promised land. We are not Israel. And I can assure you that God's promises don't apply only to this country. They apply to every nation, tribe, and tongue. And our primary loyalty must always be to King Jesus. Always to King Jesus. Everything else pales in comparison. Probably the greatest all-out evil that the 20th century West knew was that of Nazism. Do you know that Nazism was supported by the German church? 
They bought the lie. They bought the lie. They didn't go to the word. They bought the lie. They allowed the Nazi government to get in and change the word of God. The word of God always speaks against the traditions of man. That's why we can't trust our heart. Our heart will lead us astray. But this word will always lead us back to the throne of God and the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't follow your heart to deception. I have a terrible sense of direction. It pains me to say this. I mean, it, I, it, it's like a, a, it's a huge strike against my man card, but I have a terrible sense of direction. Some of you are laughing because you have either been in the car with me or you've been in the woods with me. And, and look, God gave, I, I'm convinced that's one of the thorns in the flesh that God gave me to keep me humble because I can't be prideful about it. I can, I, I, I can get lost. And some of y'all don't need to laugh at me. Because some of y'all haven't been in this church forever. And I've seen some of y'all get lost in this building. I don't even know how that's possible. But I have a terrible sense of direction. The last thing I need to do is follow my heart when I get lost. You understand? Because you know what it's going to lead me to? More lost. Way more. Like Google Maps, Apple Maps, whatever. Those are the greatest gift that God ever gave me outside of my salvation, my wife and my children. They keep me from looking stupid. Okay? And I don't care if y'all judge me. Like, my truck, I can actually plug my phone up and my little map pops up and it takes me wherever I want to go, right there on the screen. I love it. And y'all can judge me. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Because I need it. Folks, do you know that your heart left unchecked? Now, sometimes, you know what I do sometimes? I say, I think I know the way. I think I know the way to wherever. You know what I do a lot of times, just to make sure. I just pull that phone out and I say, I say, Siri, take me to California, wherever I'm going. Like I, I know it's west, generally speaking. Can you get me to Route 66? I think that'll take me there if I can just get there. I read about it one time. So there's a, I, I, I want to encourage us not to follow our hearts to deception. You say, Craig, do, 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 we, do we never follow our heart? What I'm telling you is you don't ever follow your heart unless your heart has been checked by the Word of God. The Word of God is that standard GPS that never leads us astray. Okay, Don't follow your heart to deception. But just recognize how difficult it can be for those ingrained desires of ours to be rooted out. I, I accidentally, this morning... I, <laughs> Sometimes I think the Lord does things that, are, that, that I don't understand. He, he does them just for my benefit in, in odd ways. This morning I was rereading over my scripture this morning and working through some commentaries last minute uh, before you all got here. And, and, um, and the air conditioner, uh, so my Bibles always do this. When I've been studying passage of scripture for a long time, see how that page turns up right there? Um, if your pages don't turn up, it's because you don't read your Bible enough. Um, and... Uh, um, and so it, it was turned up, and you saw what just happened right there. Like the air conditioning caught it, and it just, it just flips over on its own sometimes, okay? Either the air conditioner or the Holy Spirit of God. This morning, I think it was actually the Numa, the Holy Spirit of God, that turned it over because I, I was reading the next pa passage of Scripture. So this morning, we're in Mark chapter 1, verses 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Next week, we'll be in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 and following. 
Um, and so I was reading about how Jesus does some different things in Mark 7, 14 and following. And I, I looked down at verse 14 and I read, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with him. And immediately the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him. And they greeted him and they asked him, What are you doing? They said, We tried to cast this, this demon out, but we can't figure it out. We can't do it. Jesus says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they said, What in the world? Jesus said, How long has it been happening? The man says, I don't know if you can do this. Jesus says, all things are possible for him to believe. And Jesus says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And the disciples said, Jesus, we tried to get it out. Why couldn't we? Jesus said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some of you are looking at your Bible going, Craig, what in the world are you reading? And that's what I kept saying. Craig, what in the world are you reading? Because I, 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 didn't, I didn't remember reading that all week. And I didn't know if I developed early onset Alzheimer's. My commentary didn't match up with my text. I couldn't figure out what in the world was going on because Mark 7, 14 doesn't say that, but Mark 9, 14 does. See, that, that air conditioner just flipped the page right over. And I didn't even notice because like on my, on my Bible, they're, they're in almost the exact same pages. I was reading two chapters ahead. But I read, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And it caused me to think, what would it take for our most deeply held but sinful inclinations to be driven out. We've got to come to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, forgive me for I am a sinner. We've got to come to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord God, show me my sins. That I may repent of them. Do you know the most dangerous sin in our life is a sin that we don't even know exists. Through a long series of conversations, Angela and I had some conversations about addiction this week. And you know, the best thing about an addict is the moment that that addict recognizes they have a problem. And they say, I, I have a problem. Now we, we got something we can start with, right? We can begin somewhere. The most dangerous thing is when that alcoholic doesn't even know they're an alcoholic. Or that cancer patient doesn't know they even have cancer. We got to pray, Lord God, show me my sin. And then, you ready? God, give me the courage. The courage. And the power of your spirit to change. Repentance is a daily job. Some of you got married and you told your wife you loved her right then and you didn't say it again. Some of you got saved and you repented of your sin once and you assume you never say it again. Donald Trump was asked one time, have you repented of your sin? He said, what would I repent of? My soul. My soul. What would we repent of? If you can't find anything for which you need to repent, perhaps the demons in your life can only be driven out by prayer. Lord God, show me the deception of my heart. So don't follow your heart to hypocrisy. Don't follow your heart to deception. And finally this morning, don't follow your heart to destruction. See, when, when we and they, the Pharisees, begin to follow our heart to comfort, we don't just teach the wrong doctrines. We begin to reject God's commandments to establish our own traditions. That's what Jesus said. Turn back from Mark 9 back to Mark 7. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. 
Man, that thing hit me in the face this week. In my preparation for this sermon months back, it didn't, I didn't, that didn't jump out at me. But they, they didn't just have their own traditions that they added to God's commandment. You recognize that for our traditions to be firmly established, we have to reject the commandment of God. Right? I've got to reject it. Let's just go back to racism for a minute. For me to argue that there is one race that is superior to another, I don't just have to hold that tradition. I've got to reject God's commandment to love my neighbor as myself. You see that? I have to reject God's teaching about creation that God created all men in His image. I have to reject that. I have to reject the image of God, the imago Dei that resides within every person in some way, shape, form, or fashion, regardless of how sin-scarred it may be. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So then he goes and he gives an example because Jesus is good like that. Moses told you to honor your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything. So this is what they've done. Because what is the goal of idolatry? To make me comfortable. What does our heart always push us to left unchecked by the Spirit of God and the Word of God? Our heart always pushes us to be comfortable. And folks, there is no better earthly comfort than material wealth. There is no greater earthly comfort than material wealth. And so Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue because where your heart is, there your treasure will be and vice versa. The commandment of God says, honor your father and mother. Remember, this isn't a day before people had retirement accounts. They worked, they lived day to day for the most part. It was important for them to have children because their children actually were going to not only help, help to provide in the agricultural environment, their children were going to eventually care for them more than likely in some way, shape, form, or fashion. If they lived into old age where they could no longer work, they were going to need to depend on their children. But... They've gotten creative and crafty. And they said, here's the way that you shield yourself from the tax of having to care for your parents. You just say, Mom, Dad, I'd love to help you. You know I would. But all of my money's in this tax-sheltered account for the Lord. I would love to help you, but God's going to need this money, and I've got to set it aside right here. Folks, what have you set aside and rejected? What in your life have you decided was so important you should hang on to that you rejected the command of God? See, the, the heart reveals your treasure and your heart can lead you to destruction. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's Jeremiah 17, 9. Your heart will destroy you, which is why you need a new heart. This is the promise of God all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. He will take your hard and evil heart and replace it with a pliable, soft heart of flesh. There are harsh words here spoken by Jesus. And Jesus seems to always save his harshest criticism for the religious among him. For those who try to take God's love and use it for their own ends. 
The Pharisees didn't see themselves as the problem because hypocrites never do. Are you the problem? How would you know? I knew a deacon one time. You had to get to a deacon's meeting. He had an employee who had a family member die. While he was on the job, he got the call. Your brother's dead. He went to his deacon boss and said, I need to get home. My brother's passed. And his deacon boss said, I'd love to let you off, but I need to get to a deacon's meeting. For the record, that person, if they were a member of this church, would no longer be serving as a deacon if I had anything to say about it. I don't know if I can actually kick somebody off the deacon board, but we would try. Or at least call them to repent. Why? Are you the problem? Are you? Are you the reason that your family members don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you? Are you the reason that That your co-workers won't attend the church? Are you? Are you the reason that your wife is not actively engaged in the church because you're an anchor instead of fanning the flame in her life? Wife, are you the reason that your husband's not pursuing Jesus? Have you set it aside for Corbin? Are there conversations that are just too hard for you to have? So you stand here and you walk into church and you talk about the importance of missions and evangelism. You even write your check to the Gideons or to Lottie Moon or whatever it might be. But you haven't gone home and shared the good news of Jesus with your aunt or your cousin or your sister or your brother. You know what that makes you? A hypocrite? Don't follow your heart to destruction and don't allow your heart to destroy those around you. Because your heart left unchecked will always lean toward desperately wicked and in need. How would you know if you're the problem? How do you know? We know because God's Word tells us. We know because we go to the Lord and we, we beg, Lord God, show me my sin. You see, you can only trust your heart when the convictions of your heart match up with the truths of God's Word. I have this conversation with young people a lot. Well, I love him. He's sorry. Well, I think the Lord wants us to be together. Based on what? Well, I saw him and our eyes met and I just knew. Knew based on what? God's word says not to be unequally yoked. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't want a job. He doesn't love Jesus. He doesn't really seem to care about, but I love him. Folks, can I tell you that your heart will lead you to destruction? Period. Craig, you sound heartless. Absolutely not. I want to see hearts that are transformed and taken over with a passion for the glory of God and the expansion of God's kingdom. Our hearts must be changed. They must be made new. There's a hypothesis, and we'll end right here. There's a hypothesis known as the hygiene hypothesis. Have you ever heard of this? 
the hygiene hypothesis. The hygiene hypothesis suggests that part of the reason that we're seeing an increase in particular kinds of illnesses in developed countries and wealthier countries is because the more wealthy, the more prosperous a culture becomes, the cleaner a culture becomes. And as a culture becomes cleaner, the children actually encounter less dirt and fewer microbes, and their immune system actually suffers as a result. We've cleaned ourselves into a problem. The more comfortable you get, as counterintuitive as it may seem, the sicker you become. Have you become so comfortable in God's church? So comfortable living in this prosperous Christian life that you've actually developed a heart sickness. That you're living hypocritically. That you're living destructively. You're living deceptively. That you are not living as a lighthouse for the gospel of Jesus. This morning, as we close, would you come? Would you come and say, Lord God, free me from my hypocrisy. Free me from my deception, Lord. Change my heart and make me new. He can and He will. And He has never, ever turned away anyone who sought after Him. He stands ready. Would you receive all that Jesus has for you today? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would show us our sin and our Savior. Work in us, around us, and through us. Father God, forgive us for our hypocrisy. Lord God, reveal our hypocrisy that we may confess it before you and be changed. Father, may we not be deceivers. Lord God, may we be bearers of life. May we not be those who bring about destruction. But Lord God, may we peddle hope in the good news of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Stand.